Hi, everyone, and welcome to VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I'm Kathleen Tandy, Vice President of Global Partner and Alliances Marketing at VMware, and I'm pleased to bring you the stories and trends from our VMware partners, executives, and industry analysts. This week, I sat down with Steve White, Program Vice President of Channels and Alliances at IDC. Together, we discussed how customer trends are driving the acceleration to SaaS. Increasingly, customers want business solutions to be flexible and consumption-based, and the shift to the cloud is being accelerated by this demand. We'll go to the full conversation now. Well, Steve, welcome to Partner Perspectives. It's great to have you with us today and great to get to catch up with you. It's been about three or four months since you and I had a chance to get together at Empower, VMware Empower, and talk about trends in the channel and what's going on with partners and trends in the business. And if there's anything that has happened since we last talked is the market hasn't slowed down. The pace of change hasn't slowed down. If anything, I think change has accelerated. So really happy to get this opportunity to talk with you about the latest trends and dynamics that you're seeing in the market today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start with sharing some context for our listeners. And can you describe for our listeners what your role is with IDC and how you work with channel partners? So I'm what's called the program vice president of IDC's channels and alliances research team, which means I lead a team of research analysts who look at partner ecosystem trends. We work with lots of clients as in vendors across the market, and we also speak to lots of partners as part of our research, really to understand partner impact of what trends are going on and the kind of value of vendors working with them. One thing I like to say, and it's kind of resonated well recently, is I like to say we have no brand preference with the vendors that we're dealing with, but we're just looking to get better outcomes for vendors with those partners. So we definitely bring that partner point of view into the conversations that we have. We're out talking to partners all the time. Of course, we bring our particular lens to it. So I think there's real value in the role that you deliver in sharing that neutral voice. It's interesting because partners are kind of safer to tell us some things that they may not want to tell the vendor directly, and then we can aggregate that finding. So we often, in a kind of acute way, say it's a bit like them talking to Dr. Phil. They can kind of let loose a little bit, and there's no kind of downside to it. We're just looking to actually look for better outcomes again, which I think resonates with the partners as well. That's great. And Steve, you and your team just completed a major piece of research on behalf of VMware around the services market. And as we're looking at this huge services opportunity and the important role that partners play with services as we shift to subscription and SaaS, could you tell a little bit for our listeners, what was the kind of the purpose of this research? What were we hoping to learn? What were you hoping to learn? Kind of the process that you took and what were some of the key findings? Yeah, so I think VMware went into this working with us with a couple of theses they're looking to validate around what we would call the services multiplier. So for any given vendor, for every dollar of that vendor's technology, there should be a multiplier of services or IP-related opportunity for those partners. That was kind of one of the theses that we were looking to kind of validate. The other one was this theory that there was more of a catalyst effect for partners who engage more deeply with customers Effectively, if you're engaging more deeply with a customer, helping them to define their technology roadmap to, to support those business outcomes, the theory is, is that that becomes a much, a much bigger multiplier. 
So that was what we were looking to validate. And the obvious potential there is there are services as you go through that life cycle with the customer as you help them build the roadmap. So in terms of the research process, what we did was we initially conducted a big research survey with about 220 VMware partners. That survey data that came back was used to support and validate us building an economic model. The economic model is built around IDC market data, customer data, and publicly available information around growth in the IT market, and then modeled out using those stats to look at the potential ecosystem growth. And then lastly, we did, I think we ended up doing 11 or 12 in-depth interviews with some of the leading VMware partners from around the world who are engaging with VMware in different ways. And really that's to add color it's to hear their experiences and get real kind of examples of where they're seeing, feeling, and experiencing the opportunity. And in terms of outcomes, we kind of looked at it as kind of headlines. So the big headlines were, even for the VMware core business, right now there's a $6.4 to one multiplier opportunity for all partners out there of VMware. So for every dollar of VMware technology, we're seeing a $6.4 to one multiplier. We think that particular ratio grows to $7.7 to 1 by 2025. And if you looked at the cloud version of that or the cloud flavor of that, that multiplier is actually $8.5 to 1. So you can see there's increasing opportunity there. And then on that catalyst effect, which is interesting as well, as we kind of look to understand more where this further multiplier actually exists, we think there are actually multiple routes of partners to accelerate their growth, which can go up to $15 to one multiplier. And those are in kind of different flavors. I mean, there could be a path which is around lifecycle services, potentially starting with implementation, day one, day two services, right through to managed services over a period of time. There's also an opportunity which we saw from the research and also from the interviews around franchise extension. So VMware organizes around these product franchise areas and the extension there gives partners the opportunity to expand their portfolio. Very positive feedback around the maturity of the overall portfolio now and the opportunities there. And then lastly, there's what I call rather than life cycle, lifetime services. And I think that's that ability to be working with a customer over a number of years where you're really a strategic partner with them a trusted advisor with them, you're helping them with a roadmap and there's ongoing opportunities there. So definitely those extra paths. I think the thing that we took from it was we look at partners, every partner's kind of unique. And what it means is that every partner being unique, they need to have a different path to opportunity. And I think there are some great mixed paths there. Interesting. So as I'm listening to the multi-dimensions of this research, it's clear that this is not just a one-to-one resell a software license, here is the one-to-one connect services. There are multiple different layers. And I know that this ratio is becoming even more important for all vendors to talk about with partners as a representation of the value they deliver. So understanding the different layers and the opportunity is critical. I think in future, you're going to see different vendors touting to partners. Our catalyst multiplier is X, and that's how we differentiate ourselves. But How much of this is, Steve, are you seeing be driven by the accelerating shift to subscription, to SaaS, to those different consumption models that we're seeing customers shift to in the marketplace? It sounds like that's a key driver. Yeah, there's been a lot of shifts that have been going on prior to the pandemic. And I think all of them genuinely have been magnified by the pandemic. If you look at the shift to cloud, that's been magnified. A lot of industries in terms of their kind of digital transformation thinking were 
maybe sitting on their hands for a while, but when the pandemic came along, they suddenly had no choice. They're just compelled to change. And so things like SaaS, the move to cloud, enable customers to be more agile, feel like they have more control over the way they're actually consuming things and paying from them. So yes, SaaS for sure is absolutely part of that. When we look at our overall cloud growth within IDC, SaaS the biggest growing area and has been for a number of years prior to the pandemic and has continued. So yeah, it's absolutely a fundamental part of that for sure. An interesting piece of research independently that VMware has done is looking at as customers are migrating, there's migrating to cloud, and then there's migrating to multi-clouds, right? And we're seeing an increased trend to companies having numerous different clouds for different types of workloads, for different type of business needs. And of course, with every cloud you add, and apparently three tends to be an important tipping point, it creates much, much greater complexity. Did that trend come out in your research at all in terms of multiple clouds driving? You mentioned the cloud, as clouds come into the mix, the number went up to 8.5 to 1. I was curious whether there was a multi-cloud dimension to that. Yeah, not necessarily in this research because we were very focused around the VMware partner relationship. But in our other research, yeah, for sure. The one that makes me smile is that I think every vendor talks hybrid cloud now. And then we're now adding the multi-hybrid cloud or hybrid multi-cloud into that statement. I think the reality for all customers is, yeah, absolutely. We're at that stage now where customers know more. We're also at the stage, very candidly, a lot of our research from our infrastructure side says that customers are now looking to repurpose workloads as well. So in and out of cloud locations from public to private. Candidly, I think it's getting more and more complex. I, th I don't think it gets easier. There's definitely some research we saw recently where we're saying from customers generally, we're looking to work with fewer clouds because, you know, if you kind of multiply the effect and we've heard of large customers in Europe, North America, they say they have 650 different applications. Now, if all of those are from different vendors, managing that becomes a job in itself. So I think that complexity becomes a little bit out of control. So we're going to go through these stages, I think, where it kind of flexes and then people want it back under control. And I think we did hear a lot of that from the partners that we spoke to around the research is that in terms of the VMware story, that's a very strong story in terms of bringing that hybrid cloud infrastructure together. The 600 plus application numbers sounded high. I can tell you based yeah. on VMware, that is probably for the size of company that we are another. Yep, that's about typical. And we're in the process of trying to reconcile our technology state and, and simplify that as well. But we talk about this period of expanding complexity as there's hybrid cloud, there are multiple clouds. Security then becomes even more of a problem as your attack surface expands. Then there's the whole aspect of how we're seeing expanding remote work and hybrid work, which creates greater tax on that. All of those things I'm thinking, Steve, are that's complexity. All of that means greater opportunity for partners and services. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, 100%. I think all of the opportunities reflected in the changes in customer demand that were not only prevalent before COVID, but they've also been magnified now. So before COVID, we were seeing lots of trends around customers looking for complete solutions. So all of those areas you mentioned, remote work has obviously changed dramatically in the last 18 months. Cloud has been magnified. Security is everywhere. Security is probably the most disaggregated market we look at. The sheer number of suppliers. We actually talked about security at one of our recent alliances councils, and we had a great supplier who put up probably the scariest chart I've ever seen, which is all the security touch points that they deal with. 
and the touch points were unbelievable. And then he said, and that's just the ones that we're managing and we don't even get into partnerships yet working with others. So security is very challenging area, I think. I think it's a massive opportunity to help customers take control. But it's probably the benchmark of the area where great partnerships can really, really come into play. I think if you think about all of these trends that are being driven, most of it's driven by these customer needs. COVID compelled customers to change, compelled many industries to suddenly digitally transform if they had been sitting in their hands. And there's loads of examples, like education had no choice, healthcare had no choice, and the list goes on. But I think that drive towards customers wanting outcomes, which means solutions, total solutions, means that the services are a fundamental part. A lot of the partners we spoke to really kind of have this services continuum, if you like. And so utopia for a partner, and in many cases for a customer, is, is managed services. We're seeing a lot of customers now, a bit like the outsourcing trends kind of 15, 20 years ago, where customers are saying, some of these things are not my core business. I don't want to be investing all this amount of resource here to try and manage these things when you're a specialist in this area and I'd love you to manage it for me. So we're seeing a big trend towards managed services for sure. The only other area I think in terms of upside that we're seeing is this, and it's all related to this move to the cloud and kind of modernization of IT is app modernization. So that's just growing in importance for most companies. Similar to you were saying with VMware, there's probably been a period of time where there's been very much empowered employees using applications. At some point, you need to take that under control and then really look what's that overall controlled strategy going to look like. So I think app modernization, we're hearing a lot of opportunity areas, and I think that's great value for customers as well. Yeah, and the app modernization and security are absolutely related because as you see sprawl, individually feeling empowered to go online to application vendors and cloud hosted and swipe their credit card, every one of those expands the security risk for companies, which we know is becoming top of mind as we see articles every day. So you were talking about managed services also as being then one of the ultimate business models and a great opportunity business model. All of these practices and security, I think of particularly, they don't happen overnight and they don't happen without significant investment for partners. I mean, this is managed services as well as building it a business model with infrastructure and capability and it's, it's a whole new growth area. How are you advising partners on their investment approaches to taking on these businesses. And I can imagine data like the catalyst effect is important in understanding that. But how is IDC working to advise partners on what probably need to be some very strategic business decisions and where they're taking their businesses? We can try to found the majority of this where we're seeing demand, where we're seeing that kind of change in demand. So there's definitely this a customer motion where customers are moving towards solutions, total solutions. They really believe in digital transformation as well. The amount of industries now, it used to be a buzzword. It isn't a buzzword anymore. It's how can I modernize my business? How can I digitize my business? Digital transformation may have been the kind of marketing term, but I think they're all looking to do it. And I think that's what drives everything. So when we talk to partners, we are saying, you need to be looking at your mix of business effectively. And you're right about those practices. The practices are interesting. So we're always impressed when we, when we speak to partners because they're all great businesses in their own right. They're often very unique and very different but they're all super smart people who are saying, I'm timing when I can make the next bet. I'm looking to pilot areas. I think the thing we do say is keep super close to your vendor partners because there's a reason that vendors are actually building the materials and the portfolios and the enablement that they have, which is they see the opportunity coming. They probably have more resources to you to be able to go and find that stuff. So keep close and look to invest early. So trying to be agile around those practices is a good way of doing things. 
Honestly, when we've done a lot of research over the years, as other vendors have gone through big changes, the best partners are the ones who move first. And it's interesting, they don't always invest wholly first, but they may create a kind of a pilot practice or maybe an extension to another practice. But it's kind of fundamental for them to keep evolving with the market because I, mean, I think you mentioned it and I mentioned it before is I don't see this change slowing down. I don't see the complexity slowing down. And all of that is opportunity. That's multiples of opportunity. So if you think about AI, for example, a couple of years ago, we're saying, oh, that's never going to happen. It's kind of mainstream already. Like how quickly does that happen now? And I think that's very interesting partners to say, you've got to be thinking, how do I keep refreshing, adding the right specialization areas, differentiate myself, or find other partners to work with who can fill that gap for you to do those complete solutions. That is a really important point, Steve, that you raise. And that's something that we as a vendor are absolutely seeing given the breadth of our portfolio. Although we have some amazing partners, I think we now have between 10 and 15 who have all of what we call our master services competencies, which they have deeply invested in practice capability around our franchises. But there are thousands of partners, thousands and thousands of partners who work with VMware, and we have probably less than 15 who have all of them. So helping partners connect with each other and complement each other, I think is critical. I think we're going to see more of that. And I know VMware is leaning into looking at how we can help facilitate with that with our partners. Yeah, we do too. And it is happening and we see it in lots of different ecosystems. It tends honestly to at this point to be kind of deal by deal. But what then happens is it's a bit like when partners create a partnership around a deal, then they can replicate that. It's a bit like creating products. You can kind of replicate. It's a bit like creating, creating services. You create the IP and then you can replicate again. So I think that kind of business muscle is an interesting one to be building. There are some folks who are really good at it, but it, it's also a mindset, which is interesting. So we did some work with probably the largest vendor in, in terms of numbers of partners a few years ago and they had this theory about it. And what we found was that 50% of partners were saying, what a great idea. And 50% said, why would I introduce another partner into my customer? And that's still the balance. There's still that. There needs to be a mindset around this, which is to say, I'm going to be great at what I do. I'm going to be very deep in what I'm doing. Another mindset that I heard a few years ago from a vendor that I liked a lot, which was they were talking about skilling of people, but I think I think this applies to partners, just kind of T-shaped people. So you have the kind of narrow part of the T where you are good in a few things, but you're very deep in one area. And I think that's good with partners as well. So you can see the overlaps and it can be very clear where I play and where you play. Absolutely. Wrapping up on the research, I just want to give a chance for you to comment. Was there anything in terms of the findings that surprised you? And I'm sure because you talk to partners every day that we're not surprised that there is a catalyst effect, maybe about some of the particular aspects. But I was wondering if there was anything that was, this is interesting and it's leading to, we're starting to see some shifts in the channel and this is another indication. Nothing massively surprised me. The only thing that surprises me is that generally when we do this kind of work with any vendor, when they're going from somewhere to somewhere and their partners are coming with them. So think about VMware. You've had a pretty dramatic portfolio change over the last few years. This isn't the old VMware anymore. This is a very different company. And, and it was interesting to hear that from the partners. That didn't surprise me, but it, it was interesting to hear how positive they were about it. But what's interesting is when you have that change, I think the only thing that probably surprised me is the continuum still exists. So you still have a bunch of folks who are heavily vested in services already. Talk about those partners with, with the whole master services. I think they were most of the guys we spoke to who were very much on that front end. But you also have a bunch of partners who still have a very good existing business. And it's maybe more resale based. 
and maybe services are part of the bill of materials that they sell, so they don't kind of call them out as much, the implementation side, but they still have a very good business, and they are still part of that overall multiplier effect. So that doesn't shock me, but it, it always makes me kind of raise my eyebrows every time that we see it. And we see it in every single ecosystem that we deal with. So there are partners at, at either end of the spectrum, if you like. I think the movement towards the right side, kind of more services, is definitely the way that everyone needs to go. And, you know, there were, there were some partners who said to us, do I need to care more about services? And we were saying, in our opinion, yes, you do. Which I think is the, the key takeaway. I was going to ask you next, as we continue to see accelerating change, but with your Kind of hindsight, you had a long career both at IDC, but also with Microsoft and other companies. We remember like Compaq working with, with partners. What do you think is in store or what are the big trends over the next, I'm going to say 10 years, which is phenomenal in this type of industry. <laughs> we could probably have flying, say flying cars in 10 years, but although I think that's happening now, as we look forward, given the range of perspective that you have, what are you most excited about or what do you see as the biggest drivers or trends that we're going to see unfold over the next 10 years? It's interesting. When you ask us to look 10 years out, I think we'd all need to be a genius to see that these days. This week, other human beings were in space, which kind of shocked the hell out of me. So, I mean, who saw that coming? I do think most of the impactful trends that are happening today will still be there. Because I think most of those impactful trends around customer success over the last few years, it's just made me smile a lot. Being an ex-Microsoft person as well makes you smile a lot, which is like, we didn't care about customer success before. Like, it's, it's like it's, it's a surprise. Yeah, it's like it's, it's a new idea. Why wouldn't you want your customers to be successful? I think that customer centricity, the solutions, the business focus, the industry centricity, really putting your customer at the center of that. I have this vision, which is effectively three concentric circles. There's the technology suppliers, there's customers, and there's the delivery folks or the partners. And those three concentric circles, the center is where success lies. So there's partner success in there, there's supplier success, but there's also customer success. Customer success is the thing that I think is the big kind of focus, if you like. I mean, a harsh way of putting it is be prepared to change because it's, it's just going to continue to change. We say to folks who are building partner programs, this is a boat journey with no end port. You're going to have to continue to change because everything's going to change. Look at consumption pricing this year, which is kind of blown up for everyone. It should be no surprise because SaaS models have been like that for years. So, But suddenly all of the other players are actually doing this. 10 years out, it's probably going to have a very healthy dose of automation and AI in there. And I think that's one of the things where, again, you have a split view on this, which is, is this replacing jobs? Well, it's actually putting people in jobs of more value. And I think, again, that's where partners can add more value. And I think that's just multiples of opportunity looking forward. We could have a whole debate on the future of AI and is that going to eliminate jobs, change jobs, drive jobs. That's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. But I think as you're, you know, you were sharing your insights, I think one of the things that was popping out to me is how data and the vast quantities of data and the digital platforms that people have, I think are fueling part of this almost revolution because it's that data, the AI that allows you to have and understand the insights, allow you to have so many different lenses of customer centricity down to micro segmentation, which can allow people to manage their businesses in fundamental ways that I don't think we've seen the end of as we continue to just be on this, this stormy sea of change. Yeah, I think we're just entering this phase around data. What's interesting is a lot of the very data-centric companies have been talking about this for years in terms of the explosion of data. And I think there's been a number of forces come together now 
including the pandemic, which kind of forced people to look at it much more clearly was where we now have the technology, we now have the data, we now have the ability to transfer and use the data and then really get the insights from it to drive more real-time outcomes. So I think all of that has kind of come together in a very short period of time. But I do think we're just entering this phase and it's going to explode. And you're, and you, you're already seeing it in retail and other areas where we're all being bombarded now with offers as you move around with your GPS device and those kind of things. But I think we're just entering this phase. I really do. So wrapping up on, and I, I want to talk about the other big shift that we're seeing, which is in the transformation of work and what the impacts are. But Steve, what, what keeps you so engaged with the channel? I mean, you've been looking at partners and spending your life with partners I won't ask you for how many years now, but what keeps you with all of the different really fascinating areas of the IT industry and areas you could go, what keeps you anchored with partners in the channel? It's interesting. I've had this conversation with a lot of folks who are working in partnering. So over the last six to 12 months, or probably even the last two years, we've had a lot of vendors say to us, do you have anything around the basics of partnering? Because there are a lot of folks who haven't had those experiences of working with partners. And I think when you do, and so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm always super impressed. I mean, we are super lucky with an IDC. My team, we're in a channels and alliances group. So we work with people who work in partnering who are generally people who work well with others. So we're very, we're very fortunate. I feel very fortunate that most of our clients, I love dealing with our clients because they're so open-minded because the, the trends are the trends, but they're about best outcomes with a mix of vendor, partner, and customer. And I think that's where you get great outcomes is where you get those different views. I started at IDC 2008 and I was working in strategic alliances. I'd have to say, as I got into alliances, I learned so much from our clients around alliances and I'd been working in it a little bit before at Microsoft. But what I learned around alliances is they're potentially the biggest force multiplier for any technology vendor. However, they're the most undervalued areas, one of the most undervalued areas in the business because of the complexity and potentially the resource and aligning two big companies, those kind of things. But that I found fascinating. But again, when you get that working well, it's dynamite. It's absolute dynamite. And again, from my point of view, and I love working in partnering because everything's always evolving. I'm fascinated by the way that partners have changed. I mean, we spoke to a very software-centric partner probably two or three weeks ago who, if I spoke to them 18 months ago, would have been talking all about the resale model that they had with various vendors, and they were a machine. They now sound like an Accenture. And it's fascinating to see that change because they've realized that kind of pure resale-only model is going to be more limited in the future. So they speak to customers about business outcomes. They speak to customers about business process, and yet they were a software-centric reseller, which is fascinating to me. And I think that's not going to change. There's going to be some really smart partners out there doing some really cool stuff. We actually bring partners into our leadership councils to bring real partners in to say, hey, this is what we did. You know, Very industry-centric partners who said they found a niche, and they found a niche because they had great technical ability they found a group of customers who needed that, but they need it in their own language and they create a great business. So that I find fascinating. I really do. Well, I think there will be no lack of change or trends that are going to continue to be fascinating to keep you engaged, to keep me engaged and, and those of us looking at this market. One other dimension of this, I'm curious whether it came up in your research, is all over the news today is what Forbes described as the great resignation. After 18 months of a global pandemic, we're seeing, I'd say, an explosion in people being open to change in jobs and roles and way they're working. 
which is another parallel revolution that I, I think we don't even understand or can see all the impacts. That's certainly impacting VMware as people are taking opportunities to look at new things. It's something I talk about with our partners because having bench of expertise is so critical to their services. Is this a trend or a consideration that you're seeing come up from partners that's top of mind? And how is this whole change in workforce and hybrid workforce starting to factor into trends that you're seeing partners manage as they drive their businesses forward? Yeah, so I think I'm hearing it less specific to the pandemic on this recent trend, but as an overall trend, we hear about the kind of skilling challenge, getting the right folks and actually hanging on to them. And I think that's definitely been magnified over the last 18 months. So coming into this, there was a real skills issue for everyone, for vendors and for partners as the opportunity grows exponentially. And then how do you get the right people? Also kind of cross-skilling those kind of things. Is it going back to those T-shaped people? Do you want them to be cross-skilled? Do you want them to work in multiple technologies? And the newer workforces coming in who are very much like that. They're very much the kind of gig economy thinking. So that's something which I think everyone's looking to address. I definitely feel that momentum around people change though. Because I mean, we hear it within our business when we're recruiting. We're heavily recruiting right now. Honestly, we're struggling to recruit people right now because people are in that phase of saying, I'm not sure what I really want to do there. I'm sure we all go through it on a daily basis at some point and say, do I really want to do this? Because, you know, this new hamster wheel that we're all on, this virtual hamster wheel, one of my colleagues recently described it as saying, I just live in a box now. I live in this new Zoom box and that's what I do every day. And so even, and I love the way he was describing it, he was saying, even remembering things because you normally remember things from where you were, who you were with and the location and it kind of colors that memory. Everything's in the box now, so it makes everything very vanilla. I do definitely feel that, and we see it in terms of recruiting from our point of view. But I think the I'm hopeful that as we kind of get over the hump here, and we have this new way of working that we're all going to move towards, we actually have a practice now, uh, a research practice, looking at the future of work within IDC, which has been around for about a year and a half, and actually started just before the pandemic, and obviously was a very interesting area. So we're looking at that all the time saying, what are the differences? And fascinating, people are talking about hybrid work now, a bit like hybrid cloud. So I think that's a future for everyone, but I think everyone realizes now there are choices, whereas maybe they weren't before. Well, and that choice is going to be a fascinating thing for employers and employees to navigate. And as you said, we were having challenges with us and our partners having the right skill sets, having enough of the right skill sets right? Because as that was already in tight demand, and then you said hanging on to them. I think hanging on to them is going to be challenged by people wanting to pursue hybrid work and maybe being less committed to a particular employer and having more freedom to move across. And what does that mean for partners who are trying to build differentiation around bench of expertise, and yet it's not their bench, it's a fluid bench. I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. And then figuring out how we skill everybody up depending on your virtual. It's very hard to have the opportunity to mentor, to have people learn side by side when, as you mentioned, we're in the Zoom box. Right now, frankly, there's no end in sight for these. You know what's interesting about this? This is is reminding me of when I was at Microsoft, we did a bunch of cool training, which is the whole point of the external training is to help you have a different view on life. And I remember this this trainer telling us this, 80% of humans are experiential learners. So that's fascinating. If we're in this virtual world and 80% of us are experiential learners, which means, you know, we have to kind of show and tell and then experience and actually do it. 
that's tough to do virtually. That really is. So I think there's going to be some iterations of how we do that and how we how we land things with people as well. How do you test that it's landed with someone? If you think from a partner point of view, they've been doing virtual training for a long time, but how do you then prove that they have deployability or in front of customers? Well, that kind of comes down to another measure, which is probably a customer-centric measure. So those things are fascinating as we actually move forwards. We can come back in six months, Steve, and talk about the future of work studies and the intersection of that with partners. We'll make a note on the calendar. As we wrap up today, I want to shift to a couple of fun questions for you. What are you reading or listening to right now? When you have time to read and you're not doing fabulous research studies for VMware and other vendors. Yeah, so I'm going to put this into context of how COVID has affected me, actually, because I think it affects us all in this way. So I'm a big biker, so I'm always listening to a just dichotomy of music when I'm biking. So that's my listening thing. I'm always looking for interesting business books to read. But very candidly, COVID has impacted me there. So I struggle to really get into them these days. And I'm trying to get back into that. I have um, The latest one I've got is a book by Adam Grant. He's a business psychologist called Think Again, which is fascinating. I have a sign in my room saying, think outside the box. That's one of those things for me. I love biographies. For a little levity, I do have on my bedside table a book by a Scottish comedian called Billy Connolly from years ago. And it's called Tall Tales and Wee Stories. And it's a book you can just pick up, flip a page, and just read a hilarious story. So that, to me, is a little levity. I love that. I think that's a nice balance of what we're all looking for these days, of some of that levity to bring us up, because we're spending a lot of time serious thinking. But I love the reference of Adam Grant. I've had the pleasure to meet him and speak with him, and just some continuing fascinating thought, which is very relevant for our times. What is a new app on your phone or one that you've come back to, but something that's either fun or you're finding particularly productive? What's your latest app that you're interested in? I wouldn't say it's the latest one. I think it's one that I've come back to more and I use it all the time, which is WhatsApp. And that's contact with family. That's fun groups of folks that I keep in contact with. So my golf buddies, we have a group. My fantasy sports buddies have a group. And so that's one of the contact mechanisms I do love with WhatsApp, that's kind of platform independent, if you like. So you're not tied to an Apple device, you're not tied to others. So it still stuns me that I can talk to my family who are three and a half thousand miles away and we can see each other as if we're there. So um, yeah, use that a lot. Use that an awful lot. Oh, that's great. And in the spirit of a technology, which is having people be connected, what technology do you think will be the most disruptive for our industry over the next three to five years? I think it's AI automation. And I think it's for that discussion that we had earlier on that is going to change lives for good or bad. And I think there's so much to it. And there's also so much information we have now around these social platforms where they've been using algorithms, automation, AI to make us do things that we don't want to do. So that's some of the bad side that we're seeing. And I think as that surfaces, I think that's going to be fascinating. But I do think it's a massive boon for everyone. I mean, automate all of those things that you shouldn't be spending volumes of time on. Well, between AI and automation and the future of work, Steve, I look forward to inviting you back for some other fabulous conversations because we have lots to keep talking about. But for today, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and talk about trends in the channel. And I think the one big word that I'm taking away from our conversation today is change. It's not slowing down. It's accelerating, if anything. But in that change is opportunity for everyone who wants to be on the leading edge and be bold and lean in. Changes, I mean, 
get used to it. It's going to change nonstop. And I think we have to get more of a comfort level with it. And you have to get through that change curve quicker. All right. Well, with that changing quicker, we're going to wrap up today, Steve. And thanks so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. And we're back. What great insights from Steve. Now more than ever, we're seeing shifting partner ecosystems, and it's critical that enterprises develop a trusted network of complementary partners to help drive a successful digital business transformation. To learn more about IDC, please visit idc.com. And to connect with Steve, you can find him on LinkedIn or on Twitter at at @whiterope. Please subscribe, follow, share, and review VMware Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware's partner programs, please visit partnerexecutiveedge at vmware.com. I'm Kathleen Tandy. Thanks for joining me today, and I'll see you next time.